everyone, and Happy New Year 2024. Welcome to the brand new season of For the Love of Books podcast featuring Indian small press authors with host author Emma Polova. I would like to thank our major sponsor, Doc Chavan. Today, I will be chatting with author Ken Harmon, who will announce the details of his book giveaway in the realm of ash and sorrow at the end of the interview. Ken Harmon is a prolific writer and author who placed 13 short stories in 13 publications in 2010. His latest novel is historical fiction blended with magical realism. Hello, Ken. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thanks for being here. Can you give us a brief summary of In the Realm of Ash and Sorrow? Uh, yes, I can. Um, the book is about an American bombardier. His name is Michael Lund, and he dies on a mission over Hiroshima. Um, now, Michael Micah is actually, uh, he has a deep hatred of the Japanese because his brother was killed on Guadalcanal, and shortly after, his mother dies of a heart attack, so he blames them, and he has a real hatred for the Japanese, but when he dies, he awakens as a spirit in the city, and he starts to follow uh, a war widow, her name is Kiyomi Oshiro, and over time, he learns how to communicate with her and her daughter, and he roams around the city, and he starts to have a different feeling toward the Japanese people, the civilians, when he sees their suffering. He starts to feel guilty uh, for how much they're suffering and kind of blames himself for it. So what inspired you to write this up? That's a good question. Um it started just with a vision of man falling through the sky. And in my mind, I had to develop a plot. Where is he falling? And then I came up with the idea of him falling into Hiroshima a few months before the atomic bombing. And um, the idea for him to be become a ghost, I, I actually did that to be historically accurate. I mean, there's no history, uh, recorded documentation of an American airman downed over Japan who received any kind of aid from Japanese civilians. I needed to put him in the city and for him to have a chance to be around the people uh, so he could come to understand them. And that was the only way to make that work. Uh, also, we, we've actually been living with a ghost for 20 years now. We had a couple come up to our house uh, from Boulder. Uh, they're both retired PhDs. They uh, are hired by the state of Colorado. They use dowsing rods to find unmarked pioneer graves. And they found over 170. And they also communicate with spirits. And they taught us how. It's very interesting. So that also played a factor in me deciding to have Micah be a ghost and his communication with uh, Kiyomi and her daughter. And the research for this, what kind of resources did you oh, use? And uh, percentage I, wise, is it like 50-50, 50 fiction and 50 historical facts? Uh, no, it, it was all historical. Uh, well, I'm not going to say all historical. That, that's not correct. I read 
all the novels written about the atomic bombing of Hiroshima, mm -hmm. uh, especially those by survivors. Um, but mainly historical. I, I researched hundreds of books, documents, um, diaries of the people who lived there because I needed to understand, uh, get into the mindset of the people in Hiroshima, how they were thinking uh, about the war, their situation. And I ended up compiling over 9,000 documents of research for this book. So it's pretty extensive. Okay. All right. What was the biggest challenge in writing this book? Well, um, you know, when I set out to write this book, I, the word that popped into my head was respect. I said to respect the Japanese people and their culture, I'm going to have to do the research to, to get it right, to understand them. So that was a challenge. And then of course, when you have 9,000 pages of research, you once you plot the book, you have to figure out where to use research. Of course, I only use probably less than 20% of the research, but you, you decide where it's going to fit and use, uh, use in the story. And so that was a challenge. But uh, and that took me a long time to plot and put all that together. But but once I did, it uh, kind of fell into place and it worked out pretty good. And how long did it take you the whole process from the initial idea to the final product? Uh, I would say about two years. I um, spent about a year researching and. Um, the writing, I actually started writing the book while researching, and uh, then I, I spent several months editing. I, I went over it multiple times, so I'd say a couple of years. What was the most gratifying part in writing this one? This is your fourth novel, or? Uh, I believe it's my fifth. Fifth, um, okay. Yeah, well... For me, I'll, I'll tell you, the most gratifying part for me is, uh, of course, I love the writing. That, that's my favorite part is the actual writing of the book. But but once it was done, this book uh, received some critical acclaim. It, it was uh, Kirkus Reviews. Their editors named it uh, to their best books of the year list. And then uh, RT Book Review, uh, they named it one of the best uh, novels set during World War II. So all that was very satisfying, gratifying. But I think the most gratifying is when a reader will reach out to me, send me an email telling me how much I enjoy the book. I take a lot of pleasure in that. I, I mean, I want the reader to uh, take something away from it, to be uh, to enjoy the experience. So that always means a lot to me when I hear from a reader. What do your readers and fans like the most about this one that we're talking about in the realm? Um, well, I think they appreciate, um, the uniqueness of the story. Um, author Jamie Ford did a blurb for me and he talked about how the book was, he called it truly unique, uh, mythic and a multicultural journey. And, and it is a very unique story. Um, the uncorked librarian, she read it. She said 
that she reads a lot of World War II novels every okay. year. Mm-hmm. But this one was not like any of the other books she's read. It's very, it, the story is very, very unique. And, uh, you know, that's what I tried to do for the reader. And uh, I, I tried to do that anyway. Whenever I'm plotting a book, I'll plot it. And then I'll say, okay, now what can I do to make this even more interesting? So I go through several plots and revising the plot. And I'm sure most writers do, but that's just kind of my process. I want it to be an experience that's very unique and interesting for the reader. I think it's fascinating, this ghost, you know, that you present the ghost. That is amazing. Any surprises, discoveries, or epiphanies while writing this book, this one? Well, you know, when I started writing it, I had always heard the narrative that uh, we dropped the atomic bombs on Hiroshima mm-hmm. yes. and Nagasaki um, to pr- so we would not have to invade. And um, But I have come to learn that there was a lot of opposition to the bomb being used uh, from the military. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, they, the top generals did not want to use it. They, they wanted a demonstration of the bomb. The scientists most almost wanted a demonstration. It was really the Truman administration. They, they backed themselves into a corner at Potsdam when Truman uh, asked Stalin to uh, uh, agree to invade uh, go go into the war against Japan in August. And uh, once he did, he kind of regretted it. And I think one of the other takeaways I have is um, I don't think the government did a very good job negotiating with the Japanese. They asked after Potsdam, they wanted to keep the emperor. And we told them no, under unconditional, no emperor and then we dropped the bombs and then they came back to us to negotiate again and we decided to let them keep their emperor i I think if we had just agreed to that uh we could have possibly prevented the use of the bombs and uh you know so yeah i mean a lot of people suffered and i probably needlessly so that's one thing i i have learned also another interesting thing i learned is in the attack on Hiroshima, there were like 20,000 Koreans killed who were there just as laborers and up to 11,000 Japanese Americans who were stuck there at the start of the war. Their families had sent them there, most of them for school, and they got trapped there and they were killed in the bombing. So, you know, it, the percentage of actual military people killed was mm-hmm. pretty small. It was civilians, and a lot of a lot of kids died in that. That's sad. It is sad. This historical <laughs> part, this real part that you're telling me about. Wow. Right. right. It is uh, sad. What do you feel you did right? No one else could have done it like you. Well, I think um, because I did so much research, uh, for the book. And um, it really brings the story to life. A, mm-hmm. a lot of readers yeah. comment on how they feel like they're there with the characters uh, in the city leading up to the bombing and, and then even there when the bomb hits. So that was uh, 
very important for me. And and the book also, it, it takes a deep dive into Japanese culture and mythology. Um, so that's something else I, I think makes the book unique for the reader. So I, I think I did that part all right. And, um, you know, uh, hopefully the readers will find it to be um, a unique experience. That, that's what I was going for. I read the reviews on Amazon and they're all like 100% positive. I just found one negative. There's like only praise for your book. Yeah. Congratulations. That means a lot to me. I mean, when you put the work in, that's mm -hmm. what that's what you're hoping for. Um, and also, I think when you research a book and you're plotting a book, you do have to keep your readers in mind. I mean, you have to right. say to yourself, you know, is the reader going to, I mean, you can't totally do that. You have to write the book you want to write, but you do have to keep them in mind and, and think mm -hmm. about scenes and, and will this uh, emotionally, how will it, they emotionally uh, respond to this? How will it affect them? And all that has to go into the plotting of the book. And, and when they leave me a good review, of course it, it you know, it's very gratifying. Yeah. It sure is. What would you have done differently? Hmm. Uh, started the marketing <laughs> early. <laughs> yes, but, I hear that all the time. I would have yeah. started marketing earlier. <laughs> yeah, the marketing side. I mean, for me, I get my most satisfaction from the writing part. And I've been doing marketing for this book for several months now, which keeps me away from the writing part. So I'm really... Right anxious to get back to that but um yeah i would have started the marketing um sooner for the book uh, other than that as far as writing the book itself I, I can't say that i would change it i i like i said when i put so much effort into the research for the book um i just don't see how i i could have changed it right. so you know right. hopefully the readers will enjoy it I think they are based on the reviews. What have you learned about yourself from writing this book? Oh, well, it's, um, you know, I, I've learned that uh, to do it right, uh, mm -hmm. it's time consuming, but you have to go into it with the mindset that you, you really want to create something that is going to leave an impression. Um, I don't want to write a book that somebody reads and then just tosses down and immediately forgets. I right. prefer to have them a book that they experience it and uh, enjoy it. So, um, you know, for me, it just made me work even harder. I've always worked hard when it came to the writing, but this book, I worked really hard on the research. It took a lot. <laughs> Sounds like it. It you did. You mentioned one takeaway, right, about striking the balance. And what about other takeaways from this? There's a romance story in there, right? Somebody called it romantic fable. There is. And um, in this book, to be authentic and realistic, I had to have uh, Kiyomi's character uh, approach the romance the way a Japanese woman from that time, mm -hmm. especially would have, uh, she would have been very uh, cautious and uh, they're, they're somewhat shy when they 
get uh, interested and I bring that out in the book. So it's, it's not one, I couldn't rush that the romance and just have them fall into each other's arms. It would, it would not have been authentic. (laughs) It it, it needed to grow, um, you know, organically and be the way uh, it actually would have happened back then. Everything had to be authentic. I, I, I was a real stickler for authenticity. So, and that includes in the romance, but I wanted the romance in the book. I, I love a good love story. Um, I think they really help propel a plot if you have them. So I've had them in the past. So um, yeah, I uh, definitely uh, just made sure that I did the romance the right way and which was really important for me to do. And, and I think it, turned out, I think it turned out good. Yeah. Any other takeaways? There's that magical realism component oh. that everybody keeps talking about. Right. Well, I, I think when you bring in the spirit world, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for me, I've been very fortunate, I guess, uh, that to be living with a ghost. I mean, she's done. Yeah. Well, I even know who she is. Uh, the the people at the Fort Collins Museum helped me do some research, and we identified her. Uh, really? Her, yeah, her name is Mary Bell Wilson. Okay. She, she died in 1886, and she uh, we found newspaper articles about when she got sick and when she died. And um, when the people came up from Boulder, I was talking about they actually found a grave, a hit on a grave in our okay. backyard. But we've had stuff like we've had pictures thrown off the wall, things levitated in front of people. I mean, all kinds of stuff with her. She's uh, knocked right by our head. She one night she I heard a knock on the headboard and then uh, I felt someone get up on the bed. I was in there by myself and come slowly toward me. And then I felt this weight settle over my legs. And I, I was videoing the whole thing. So we have night shot on our camera. And when I lay down, there's all these orbs start flying. Then my daughter comes in and I get up, kind of shoo her away. And, and while that's going on, the orbs stop. As soon as she leaves, they start flying again. One flies up to the headboard and then you hear the knock, knock right by my head. So, yeah, we've had all kinds of stuff like so that. So you have this paranormal luck here, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Even now, even now. I mean, if, okay. when I go to bed, if I hold up my camera on my phone, okay, there's stuff flying around my room every night. All kinds of stuff. All so, kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. They're all different. So, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite the experience. Yeah, okay. Would you do it all over again? You're writing and you also had a police career? Um, I would. Um, the, the police, you know, I always wanted to write from about okay. the time I was 11. I went on a camping trip. My sister brought along a copy of uh, The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. After I read it, I said, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to write. Mm-hmm. So I knew that. What the police experience did for me, I was down in Fort Worth, Texas, and we had, at the time, we had the highest crime rate in the United States. So I got to experience human emotion on many different levels. And I think that's helped me in my writing mm-hmm. bring that out yes. in character. So uh, that was good for me uh, to have that experience. 
What is the most interesting or bizarre thing that has ever happened to you during an in-person event? Oh, well, I can't say would call it bizarre, but we, um, after I wrote a, a book about our experience with the ghost and my wife and I were actually flown out to Los Angeles to be on a television show called mm -hmm. My Ghost Story, which, and being on TV, and that show went worldwide, it's, seeing yourself on the TV, it's it's kind of weird. <laughs> it must be, right? Well, it was weird. I, I, can't, I can't tell you that uh, it was just a strange experience. During filming, they sat me in a chair, and the room was pitch black. And I couldn't see anything. And I could just hear this voice coming out of the darkness asking me questions. It was very strange. So what's next for you on your writing journey? Well, I have three novels that are finished. But I'm kind of waiting on my agent to decide which direction she wants to go uh, as far as, you know, pitching them to publishers. So uh, I have also a book. I've done some research for my next book. I need to do more. Um, so I'm going to plot it and write it. And uh, I can't wait because <laughs> it's been a while. Like I said, the writing is the best part for me. That's the best part of the entire journey is the actual writing of the book. And um, I would write even if I wasn't getting published just because I enjoy it. So that's what's next for me. Just uh, starting a new book and, and deciding, uh, having the agent decide what to do with the other one. So. So how many days have you uh, done without any writing? Have oh, you... <laughs> oh, too many. Too many. Too it's... many, right? That's how I feel. I feel so yeah. bad when I can't write because I have to market. Yes, yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> I, I would say about seven months now. Seven and... months without writing. Yeah. And for me, yep. Yep. way too long. That's way too long. Way too long. So, I've uh, heard that we should be writing daily. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I write. I, I should. I write little mm -hmm. But as far as fiction, yeah, it's been it's been about seven yeah. months, and yeah. it's just oh, it's too long. I'm really uh, I'm itching to get in there and start working again, but you know, I just have to do it uh, at the right time. So I'm gonna hold off for huh? just a little bit more, but not much, not much longer. Okay, all right, Ken, would you like to read to us? Um, okay, I will. This is a, a scene in from chapter two in the book. And in this scene, uh, Kiyomi, uh, she's a 28-year-old war widow, and she lives with her in-laws in Hiroshima, and they don't treat her very good, but she's walking her young daughter, uh, Ai, to school. And a curious Ai starts to ask Kiyomi questions about her past. Okay, here it goes. The sky opened at the end of the alley, Warm sunlight greeted them. To their left, a cemetery stood in silent repose, black headstones absorbing the morning light. To the right, young life celebrated a new day on the playground of the Nakajima National School. 
Children's laughter and shouting filled the air. The two-story wooden structure fanned out into an L shape. A section of the playground had been converted to a victory garden. The playground appeared larger with the temple, with the children, grades three and above, evacuated to the Shohoji Temple in Mirasaku. Boys sheathed in air raid hoods resembled miniature samurai warriors as they wrestled. Other boys spun tops or shot marbles. Girls played oranges and lemons. Jan Kenner stood watching the boys and chatting. I pulled back. What is it? Kiyomi asked. Ai's focus drifted to the playground, then back to her. Questions moved across her black eyes. Is something wrong? Norio bragged about his father. He said he's a war hero. Hi, he's a naval commander. And my father? Kiyomi wavered. She hated lying to her daughter, but her in-laws had insisted that this was the best course of action. He vanished while fighting in China. Why ask now? We've spoken of this already. Ai kicked a rock, sending it on a chattering journey. Was Jiken my real father? A flutter traveled through Kiyomi's stomach as if a hundred butterflies took flight. She had anticipated this would this day would come, only not, not this soon. She feigned ignorance. I don't understand your question. I heard Baba and Oji-san talking. They said my father came from Tokyo. Hi, we met before the war. You were married? We never married. Why? Kiyomi jerked on Ai's arm to get her moving. We'll have this conversation another day. Did you love him? Kiyomi remembered the warmth of his lips in the darkness of Hibiya Park. A muscular hand working under her blouse, soft fingers climbing her ribcage. Months later, she stood alone on the Ryogoku Bridge beneath a full moon. A dagger in her hand shimmered in the darkness as a voice inside her head steered her away from the unseen world. He was a good man, Kiyomi lied for the second time that morning. She motioned with her chin at the silver moon necklace around Ai's neck. He gave me that. Ai fingered the tiny moon resting at the base of her neck. The necklace had always been her most prized possession. You loved each other. Kiyomi sighed as her daughter's repeated questions weighed on her. This wasn't the time to have such a discussion. Baba says you're possessed by a worm. Kiyomi blinked. A worm? Hi, the worm of depression. Kiyomi choked back laughter. The worm of depression? Nonsense. I can never be sad as long as I have you for a daughter. Mama, will the war ever end? I want to go to the horse market. The horse market in Shiraichi? Hi. Why do you want to go there? To eat the cotton candy? Cotton candy, eh? Kiyomi grinned at her daughter's innocence. We must be patient, my love. We fight for the emperor. The emperor alone decides when the war will end. Maya says the Americans will be here soon. Kiyomi stopped and looked around to make certain no one listened. Never repeat that to anyone. Listen to only half of a person's talk. The mouth is the gate of misfortune. I understand, Mama. At the edge of the schoolyard, I.E. raised the flap on her emergency supply bag. What did you pack in my bento box? What would you like me to pack? I.E. tapped a finger against her lips. How about tendon? I see, so I must travel to the ocean and catch shrimp. 
been hiking to the hills to find wild vegetables. That would be most agreeable. Kiyomi's hands fell to her sides. How about a rice ball? A veiled disappointment moved across Ai's face. Again, better than having a worm of depression. Ai smiled and bowed. Sayonara, Mama. Although customary to leave a child with a bow, Kiyomi leaned down to kiss Ai on the cheek. Sayonara, my love. As Ai melted into the crowd of children, Kiyomi thought of the cherry trees that grew along the banks of the Honkawa River. She pictured the blossoms falling like pink snowflakes to settle upon the placid water and remembered how they floated out to the welcoming arms of the sea. Thank you. That was nice. Oh, you're welcome. Would you like to announce the details of your book giveaway? Uh, yes. Uh, the first person who emails me at, at Harmon at comcast.net, and let me spell that out. It's all lowercase, one word, Kenneth, K-E-N-N-E-T-H-W-H-A-R-M-O-N at comcast.net uh, will receive a, a copy of In the Realm of Ash and Sorrow. Yes. And parting shots from each one of us. You first, Ken. You're my guest. Okay. Well, I just uh, encourage uh, anyone who's interested in uh, World War II history, uh, especially sit in Japan, which you don't find a lot of, uh, a good uh, love story, not only between uh, American and the Japanese woman, but also... Uh, between a Japanese mother and daughter. Uh, there's a lot going on with this book, a lot of important, deep themes. And I, I think most readers will enjoy it. And I, I hope they uh, take the time to look it up. And I think they'll enjoy it. Yeah, I think so. And my parting shots, other than write daily, are right indie by indie and read indie read your local newspapers for inspiration keep your fingers on the keyboard and your butt in the chair thank you for listening goodbye